Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. You know success when you see it, or you think you do, the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome to What You Missed This Week. I'm Joe Weisenthal. This is the new podcast that has the best and most interesting interviews from the Daily Market Close show that I co-anchor with Scarlett Fu and Julia Chatterley on Bloomberg Television called What You Miss. Our aim is to take you beyond the headlines and bring you unique perspectives on the week's top stories and, well, those that you may have just missed. The podcast is the perfect way to kick off your weekend. First off, we spoke with Rhett Wallace, CEO of Triton Research, about how investors can evaluate private companies before they go public. He discussed the importance of founder power in evaluating private companies. Take a listen. Not sure it's sustainable. We're watching the tape just like you guys and the calendar, but there were five deals done in the first quarter, and now there are another eight that are either done or on the way to being done, so 40% higher than last year's calendar. Right. Something you've talked about is the lack of uh, transparency of IPOs and the fact that investors just don't have a great way to get a sense of whether a company is any good or not with the information Mm -hmm. that's given. Snap was pretty... uh, I don't want to say egregious, but an example of one in which investors apparently misjudged the quality of the business. Mm-hmm. What's the issue? Why aren't investors getting the information they should get? Well, first of all, because they're getting the data from the people that are selling them the stock. So you already know Goldman's view <laughs> because they'd like to sell you $4 billion of SNAP. But from a more macro perspective, our approach is this, that what investors are used to is a sort of creative process to research where an analyst will write up his thoughts and tell you what what he thinks about a company. We try to be much more systematic. So instead of focusing on two or three things about a company that we think are notable, like initiating with a buy rating on huge market and awesome team, right? we score on 14 individual points. right? So we think you have to look at everything instead of being selective and subjective about what you look at. Second of all, these things are all different. Every analyst covers every company differently, and every company is its own little snowflake. Our process is to look at them all the same and score them all the same. What are you actually looking at? What criteria are yeah. you looking at? Well, so some of the fun ones you talk about, you know, transparency, we have something internally that we call the obfuscation index. Yes. Right? <laughs> we also have an op- opacity index. So when people don't want to tell us what they really do, not good. Um, when they don't want to tell us the key metrics about the fundamentals of their business, like Snap, for example, not telling us how many salespeople they have, or the fact that they even have salespeople, not good. So, I mean, something like an obfuscation or opacity measure mm. uh, doesn't sound concrete. So how yes. do you construct, how do you put a number 
accompanies your passion. So that is the magic of the whole system. And that's why no one's ever heard of the system except for the customers until now, because now we have four years of data where we've looked at it on a rigorous basis to see how well it tracks the way the deal's performed. So for example, you know, we have a score for something we call founder power, which is usually very important, although Snap was an interesting outlier. Are the founders still there? Do they still have their jobs? Are they still on the board? Do they still have like voting control of the company? So Snap, for example, is like a perfect 10, and you can score that very rigorously, just to give you an example as an answer to your question, where some of the deals we're seeing now, you have managers that came later, aren't founders, don't own very much of the company, maybe they're on the board, but they have very little to say about what's going on. Founder power, it turns out, is highly correlated to the way these deals work, unless you're Snap and you have a very low business score, and when a bad business meets high founder power, the business wins. A real problem. Yeah. Does, how, how high does founder power rank versus some of the other variables you look at? Or do they change constantly? So the correlations are interesting. Like, for example, founder power is very important. Business quality is very important. Things that we score for are things like hype and buzz, mm -hmm. which turns out to be not correlated. So just because you've heard of a company doesn't mean it's going to do well. Also, we score the investors. So you would think, like, okay, Warren Buffett and Sequoia and everyone else the is early in the cap table, the, the pre-IPO investors, mm -hmm. you would think that that would be good. No. It turns out that's actually not correlated to the way the companies perform. If you're correlating stock performance with a series of 14 factors, how do you establish that what looks like a robust factor is not just the result of backtesting? That's a really good question. So when we designed the scoring system, we scored each individual thing that we look at. Is the management team good? Are the investors good? Is the board good? Are the products good? Is the product differentiated compared to other products of its type? What's going on in the cap table? Is this being underwritten by two guys and a dog or Goldman Sachs? All the things that you would think would be important. And what we've done over four years is just tune the scoring system so that it turns out to be like the thing that we thought was most interesting is the summary score is the most highly correlated of all the pieces. So none of the individual pieces tell the story as well as looking at the whole thing together. How much of the information that you're feeding into the model is acquired from go directly going to the company and saying, this is all the information Oh my God, every, every company would have a 10. They would all score off the charts if we just listened to the company. Well, they have to be truthful, though. So No, they don't have to be so, truthful. So this is the I'm whole thing. At. So that's what I'm getting at. They what don't have to tell you what's true. The company? Right, so they don't have to tell you all the things that are true, mm -hmm. and they don't have to say what's true. So our system was built to analyze private companies. So the way we talk about this is private companies have no disclosure at all. Yeah. And so we're designed for that. Public companies just have bad disclosure. <laughs> so if you're good at private companies with no disclosure, then the public companies are pretty easy but, but, to do. But I am actually asking a serious question. How much of the information that you get, and, and even on a fluffy basis, on a, a qualitative basis, when you talk right. about what you, as well, you so, said with Snap, they wouldn't tell you how Well, my favorite example, again, back to Snap. Snap, and you open up the prospectus, Snap is a camera company, is how it was described. So our view is first, you can't look at Snap and you can't even look at Snapchat, which is their product. You have to look at the individual products held for sale, which is Snap ads. So for us, our analysis is bottom-up based on products as opposed to top-down based on the narrative approach. Mm. A lot of the factual stuff the companies do tell us, either in press releases over time or yes. in yes ones, but we have, again, our same analysis that we do for every company so that we can compare them to each other. Less than 5%, would you say? Less than 5%. Information of coming from the company. It depends. That gets you a really, really low opacity or a high opacity, low transparency score if they're not telling us I'm what we need to know. just trying to gauge what it's like as an right. investor trying to look at these things. Can I give you an example? Yeah. So there's a Chinese company that's in registration right now called Huya. Yeah. You've heard of it, right? You guys are big Huya fans. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, 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 you watch Chinese gamers. It's a, it's a channel that you can watch gamers play. Like Twitch. But, sort of like that. 
But what's funny about it is, so you read this 400-page registration statement, and only twice do they mention, like buried in the footnotes, that they make the games themselves. So if you want to buy a game publisher, just look and see how well Billy Billy did. Right? So that's an example of the company. Did they tell us? Well, kind of, but not really. And so, so we, we have to know to look for these things. So who in the IPO pipeline is scoring high on your uh, measuring system? Just so that when we have you back here six sure. months or a year after the IPO, <laughs> you can take a come victory lap. Totally. No, you don't have to wait that long. The good news is probably the highest scoring company that's in registration right now is DocuSign. So DocuSign scored exactly the same as Zawara. I'm sure you guys covered Zawara when it went. Yeah. Right? did the whole show on it. Right. You did a whole show on Zawara, <laughs> right? So DocuSign scored identically to Zawara. Smartsheet is like a discount to Zawara across the board. So if Zawara was just a little bit less good in every way, yes. you would end up with a Smartsheet. So Ceridian will come this week, scored just like Pivotal. So not expecting great things out of that. My takeaway from this is that as an investor looking at this cold without any help, you're completely screwed or you're just really lucky if you make money. Well, so if you're not a pro, mm-hmm. forget it. Yeah. You're going to get killed. Okay. You're, lucky. you're lucky or you're screwed. <laughs> right. Exactly. But even if you are a pro, you're busy. I mean, the whole reason that this product came about is because when companies file to go public, you only have two weeks to make your money. Yes, exactly. And that's right? the key. You don't even have right. time. So if you don't have rush. a purpose-built system to do it, it's very, very difficult. Yeah. We also spoke with Dale Falwell, North Carolina State Treasurer, about driving down the cost of health care in his state. Well, whose money is, is the taxpayers' money and the, and the public service workers? Uh, you know, most, a lot of public service workers uh, do not realize that Blue Cross, our, our, the insurer, the name that's on the front of our card, they're not our insurer. This is a self-funded plan like most all states have self-funded plans. So what we're trying to do is to, uh, we're coming out with an employee benefit statement that shows the value of these benefits to our employees. You know, you can't be in any relationship where you just don't get credit for what you do in the relationship, you just get blamed for what you do to the relationship. So we're educating us with our employee benefit statement to say these are the present value of our benefits, and then we're going to go from there to the uh, insurance card which says paid for by you and taxpayers like you. Dale, when we talk about healthcare in this country, we typically take the costs for granted, and then there is a debate about who pays. Mm-hmm. What do you do about actually bending the cost curve down, whether it's on the supply side, so that healthcare, the provision of healthcare, becomes mm-hmm. less expensive, setting aside who's actually paying for it? Well, the first thing you do is you turn these 750,000 participants in the North Carolina State Health Plan, which, by the way, what does that mean? The recent announcement by Berkshire Hathaway, uh, J.P. Morgan, mm-hmm. and Amazon, our state health plan is almost as large as the domestic employment base of all three of those companies combined. So that's the buying power that we have just in the state of North Carolina state health plan. So what we do is we push the power away from us at the treasurer's office and down to them as consumers. If we get our state employees to think about this card, the health plan card, as deeply as they think about this card every time they pull it out of their pocket, then we can turn them into watchdogs and they themselves will help us drive down the cost of health care. This is very important when it's combined with the redesign of the explanation of benefit, which all your viewers get. It doesn't explain the benefit of anything. But as you say, I mean, you have an enormous amount of negotiating power. I mean, when we have been talking from our perspective about this uh, powerhouse that will be this J.P. Morgan, Amazon, Berkshire combined healthcare entity, one of the things we talk about is how they'll have 
a lot of power when it comes to negotiating costs. So, mm-hmm. what role then do you play from that perspective in trying to also not just rely on your consumers, but to also uh, on the supply side get those costs down? Well, under number one, you start out with the culture that we're going to sign our contracts that ben- benefit our participants and the taxpayers of our state. Not big pharma contracts, not big health care contracts, and not big Wall Street contracts. You know, when you're the keeper of the public purse and you have almost $50 billion worth of unfunded liabilities, 35 on the health care and 14 on the pension, you know, this is sort of like yoga, where, <laughs> you, you know, your job in yoga is to breathe and to pay attention to your mat. And our mat right now is to drive down health care costs so that people in North Carolina, the state employees and retirees, can actually afford it. Do you do yoga? I do. <laughs> You're encouraging medical tourism to a certain extent, so you're, you're pushing consumers to shop around. But mm-hmm. one of the other things that, that comes to mind is what about union power? Because if you're talking about the fixed costs that they pay as well, do mm-hmm. they want to have that adjusted? And on the other side, you've got employers that also contribute as well to these costs. And, of course, mm-hmm. their, their costs are rising too. So sure. you, you're trying to juggle a lot of different things here. And, and that well, concerns me. Well, fortunately, uh, the State Employees Association is very much in favor of everything we're do- trying to do to, to root out waste, fraud, and abuse. We, unfortunately, we just did an enrollment audit. Several hundred people were, uh, had to leave the state health plan because they couldn't verify they were supposed to be on it. On the pension plan, we just indicted a person who had been cashing their deceased parents' uh, pension checks since the turn of the century. You know, this is like eating a ham sandwich. Uh, It happens one bite at a time. It didn't happen overnight. It's not going to be fixed overnight. And the population's aging, too, which is a contributory Mm -hmm. factor. Dale, going back to making the consumers essentially the watchdogs, uh, it sounds great in theory, but there are a couple of issues. One is people don't often think rationally about health care. They have a hard time weighing the risks. It's a very emotional thing. Mm -hmm. Also, pricing is not particularly transparent, nor can you often shop around. If you get into a car accident, you're not really in a position to hospital shop or doctor shop. You're just like, who can help me? So what can you what needs to be done on the side of transparency so that a fully armed consumer can actually make good decisions? Well, the the thing uh, that we're doing is we're redesigning the explanation of benefits so that when people get a bill or a summary of a bill, that they can actually reconcile that this is what they got. It's, you know, consumers ultimately determine the success and failure of everything that goes on in our society <laughs> except health care. And there's an old term from an old cartoon Popeye where he used to say, I can't stand it because I can't stand it no more. The people of America and of North Carolina are sick and tired. They can't stand it anymore of consuming something. They don't consume it. It consumes them. That's what's happening with health care. We're trying to drive the information down to them so they can be watchdogs. And I look forward to always updating you on this progress. Someone that would argue that the consumer does have power on the health care side is, is Amazon, and that's what they're working towards. Mm-hmm. And I know for North Carolina, too, you have huge benefits as far as um, health care, of technology in particular, mm-hmm. and the advancements that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's opportunity going forward for a, an Amazon, J.P. Morgan, Berkshire tie-up, a private sector tie-up with a state like yours, a public sector working together? Because I know you've been very pro sure. on what they're doing. Do you see opportunities there to, to tie up with these guys? Well, uh, I have great respect for what they're trying to do, and but our train left the station a year ago. So, 
at the end of the day, what it's going to take is it's going to take discipline because in North Carolina and probably across the country, we have a medical arms race going on. Yeah. And think about just what that term means, a medical arms race, where consumers don't know the value and the price of what they're getting or what they're paying for. So we're going to work together. Uh, we're going to focus on this. This is our mat in North Carolina. And any time that we can work with this uh, a private consortium and trade notes on things that we're doing, I think that would be fantastic. But generally speaking, I live in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I work in Raleigh. Uh, that's 110 miles apart. You would not believe just the difference in the basic procedures, medical procedures for stents, for knee replacements in that 110-mile stretch down I-40. And finally, Bloomberg's executive editor for Global Technology, Tom Giles, joined us to discuss the busy week in tech earnings and why there is a huge sigh of relief for investors in Facebook. There were a lot of concerns about Facebook and its numbers heading into this earnings cycle, and they have alleviated many of them. There were concerns that the Delete Facebook uh, campaign that we saw on social media was going to send uh, users away in droves. Mark Zuckerberg had said we're not seeing material impact. And in fact, these numbers prove that he was not lying. Uh, they saw gains in monthly active, daily active uh, users. Those are important met metrics for Facebook. Remember, in the, first, in the fourth quarter of last year, they also saw a decline in North American users. That number is back on the climb. It wasn't a big move, but it's heading back in the right direction. Um, as you said, revenue and profit also beat estimates. So a huge sigh of relief around Facebook's numbers today. Tom, that pickup in North American daily average and monthly average users, you could kind of call that a double victory, right? Because it alleviates the concern that that previous quarter's slowdown was the start of some big tumble. And it, to some extent, eases anxiety about the delete Facebook campaign. So they sort of knocked out two concerns with one stone there, haven't they? That's right. Absolutely. Delete Facebook. This was there. There were a lot of people on social media, uh, including Twitter, um, including Instagram, by the way, which is owned by Facebook, who were saying we're we're deleting Facebook. We're concerned about privacy. The Cambridge Analytica thing sent a real, you know, shivers through a lot of users that Facebook is really not a good steward of my privacy, of my data. They really blew it. And we saw Mark Zuckerberg, Sheryl Sandberg and a lot of other executives go on this big repentance tour around the country telling people we don't want you to leave we want you back and saying you know again we're not seeing a material impact so yes again big sigh of relief the north american users remember there's this other factor at play with facebook right now in january they said they were going to make some changes in the way they provide right. put information into your into your news feed and that is and they were concerned that that would kind of send people away as well but you know they're seeing things going in the, in the right direction again you can take your pick of challenges as far as chipmaker Qualcomm is concerned, Tom. They did beat expectations in the quarter, but then I think guidance had come down significantly as a result, or at least expectations had come down. What's your take on this quarter and the outlook for Qualcomm? Yeah, I think for Qualcomm, you're seeing real strength in China, where they're a major supplier of, of uh, components to a lot of the Chinese smartphone makers. Still a really big market there, still opportunities for growth. And that's in contrast. So there was a lot of bearishness overlaying the chip market, uh, the chip industry, heading into this set of results. Suppliers to uh, Apple 
um, have really kind of sent a chill across the market, giving an indication that the results from Apple that we're going to see next week are not going to be so hot. What we're seeing with Qualcomm is that, in fact, uh, which is a supplier to Apple, but also has a lot of other buyers in the Chinese market, a lot of other smartphone makers that are giving Apple a run for its money in this major smartphone market, and that's benefiting Qualcomm right now. This has been another episode of What You Miss This Week. I'm Joe Weisenthal. Be sure to catch our show, What You Miss, every weekday from 3.30 to 5 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg TV. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.